starting at verse 8. That's correct. That's on page 1109 if you've got an old NIV. So that's Acts chapter 8, starting at verse, sorry, Acts chapter 14, starting at verse 8. In Lystra, there sat a man crippled in his, um, in his feet, who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. <clears throat> Yet he has not himself, he has not left himself that testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered round him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the good news in that city and won over a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia. You come to, to the front of... As you near the building, you notice there are quite a lot of people outside. Hmm, it's busy. But as you get closer, you realise they're not here because they're friendly. They've got placards and banners, and the writing on those things makes it very clear to you they are not pro-Christians. And they are there with eggs and flour. And they've got their phones out, ready to film the humiliation of anyone who walks through them and gets shouted at and pelted. What do you do? Seriously, what would you do? I know what I'd want to do. I'd want to walk up, nod, and pretend I'm going over there. Wouldn't you want to do the same? It could happen. It could be our future. Well, as we consider that possibility, God has a strengthening message for us today, a word that will encourage us as believers. Here it is. We must go through many hardships. 
to enter the kingdom of God. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. That is God's message of encouragement to us today, to all of us. Let's just think about that. We've already heard those words. They're in the reading. They're there in verse 22. We. It's not a solo thing. It's a team sport. It's for us together. This message is for all of us. We. We must. It's non-negotiable. It's not optional. We would like it if it was, but it isn't. We must go through many hardships. Lots. Not once. Lots. Uh, Not minor inconveniences. Not slightly awkward moments. Hardships. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. The kingdom that Jesus has brought. It is worth it. But the way is paved with many hardships for all of us. And we must, must go through them. Now, we might not feel it's a very strengthening message. It doesn't feel very encouraging. Maybe we think, oh, I want it to be a bit more feel-good, please, this morning. Maybe we come burdened with many things. Well, this is a good message for us today. And I hope by the end we'll see why it is. I said we're focusing on verses 19 to 23 of Acts chapter 14. Uh, Just up on the screen briefly, we'll have a map just to uh, orient ourselves if we uh, like that sort of thing. And geography uh, is particularly useful to us. Uh, We saw last week we were looking um, at the church in Antioch. Uh, There on the top right, there's Antioch and Jerusalem. I'm sort of in the way of it for most of you, uh, but down here. Uh, Slightly confusingly, there is another place called Antioch. Uh, You can see at the top left different place. So the Antioch we've got uh, mentioned for us in Acts chapter 14 is not the one we were looking at last week. Uh, And you can just about make out uh, Derby, Lystra, Iconium and Antioch. Uh, Don't worry too much about the arrows, that's someone showing where uh, Paul's missionary journeys were. But we are talking about things that happen in those um, top towns and cities up there. That's roughly where we are, um, if that's helpful to you. And if it isn't, that's fine, it's going away now. So thank you, that's enough of the slide. All right, let's have a look then. Verse 19 is where we pick up. So Paul and Barnabas have just had a great kind of moment in this city in Lystra. Lots of people are really positive to them. They're almost, well, it's sort of great. They're almost sacrificing to them because they think they're so brilliant. Then what happens? Verse 19. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, those two cities nearby, and they won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. How did the Jews win the crowd over? Right? The crowd was trying to sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas, and now the Jews win them over. How did that happen? I don't know. But what do we learn? Crowds turn quickly. Crowds turn quickly. Big time. And what kind of hardship was it? What kind of hardship did Paul encounter? Stoning. Do you know what stoning is? If we were going to stone someone, right, we'd, we'd get them, we'd grab them, and we'd take them outside, and we'd all pick up stones, and we'd start pelting it out of that person. It's quite a good method of execution, because it's, it's a group thing. No one knows who throws the fatal stone. But you don't do it kind of half-heartedly. You don't do it calmly. It's something you really put your passion into. They did that to Paul. Physical hardship, pelted with stones, until what happened? They drag him out. 
They think he's dead. They check his pulse. Doesn't seem to have one. Breathing seems to have stopped. Now, he wasn't dead, but he looked like it. He looked dead. Just imagine what that looks like. Someone who looks dead from stoning. Blood. Motionless. Cut. Wounds, you think, he's definitely gone. That's what Paul ha uh, experienced. In a moment, the crowd turned against him. He's dead, they think. They drag him outside the city. He's going to rot there. But then what happens in verse 20? Some disciples come and gather around him. That's local believers, local followers of Jesus. They gather around Paul. And what happens? He gets up and goes back into the city. Isn't that surprising? Not that he gets up. That's not the surprise. What's the surprise? Where does he go? Back into the city. If you got stoned in Harpenden, do you think you'd return into Harpenden? Paul goes back in. What do you think his night's sleep was like in the city? Anxious? Tossing, turning? Hyper alert? There's a sound outside the window? What kind of hardship is that? Psychological, mental, strain, constant vigilance, which is draining. Many hardships. Physical hardship, psychological hardship. We can note here that Paul isn't chasing hardship, all right? Because you might think, we must go through many hardships. Uh, I'm not experiencing hardship right now. Where can I find it? Paul doesn't go back in the city and say, hey, everyone, call that a stoning? Tis but a scratch. He's injured. He's near death. He doesn't have bravado. He's not macho to try and prove himself or to antagonize people and provoke them. That's not what he's doing. But he goes in. And then the next day, verse 21, sorry, still verse 20, the next day, Paul and Barnabas leave for Derby. They go. And then they go preaching and teaching. All right, imagine you go and see Paul and Barnabas. We don't know what they looked like in terms of their physical appearance normally, but what did Paul look like right now? He looked a mess. Some of these people would have seen Paul before and he looked okay, and now he comes in and he's covered with bruises and cuts. Didn't have um, antibiotics, oozing, ar oozing arm sores where he'd protected himself. And this guy stands up and says, I've got good news for you. And what happens as he preaches the gospel in that city, verse 21? A large number of disciples. Loads of people become Christians. Isn't that interesting? Because we might think it would put them off. Wow, if this guy's saying he's got something good and we should become like him, I don't want that. Because look what happened to him. I don't want that to happen to me. What can we learn from that just in passing? We don't have to make the gospel palatable. It doesn't have to look good in a clever, marketed, branded way. It doesn't have to look slick. Paul looked a mess, and he preached the gospel that Jesus is Lord. And what happened? A large number of disciples. We don't have to make the gospel palatable or look good. Because it is good itself. If you're not a Christian here, and you've heard, we must go through many hardships, you'd be forgiven for thinking, no thanks. But let me just ask you, just to think about in your own heart, 
Have you got anything in your life that is worth going through many hardships for? What is it? What is the thing that you would go through many hardships for? Maybe you don't have anything. Not really. Nothing permanent. Nothing. You might say, well, I loved one. I'd go through many hardships for them. But one day they're going to go through something that you can't save them from. And then what will you be left with? Do you have anything, anything that remotely comes close to the kingdom of God, being with Jesus forever? Do you have anything that good? The gospel is worth it. From the mouth of a battered, half-dead preacher, they hear hear the news and they believe. All right, where do they go next? Halfway through verse 21. Then they return to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Dot, dot, dot. Where have we seen these place names before? Where have we seen these place names before? Verse 19. Where did these Jews come from? Antioch. And Iconium. And they go there. They go to the cities where the Jews come from. Again, isn't that surprising? Well, yes, but no if we've seen what they've already done. They go to the places that are difficult. They go to where the persecution is. It doesn't put them off. Now, interesting, who do they go and talk to in these cities? Who do they go and talk to in Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch? Verse 22. They go and talk to the disciples. That is, they go to the Christians. They go to the churches. They don't go to the unbelievers. It's interesting, isn't it? They don't go to the unbelievers. Now, we're not to take from that they didn't talk to any unbelievers or they never went, reached out. But here, the focus is the Christians. Why? Because of we. We must go through many hardships. And we learn then the we is not Paul and Barnabas by themselves. It's the Christians. They say to the Christians in Antioch, there are people here in this city who tried to kill us, and they're going to do the same to you. We must go through many hardships, and so we are here to help you, because that's going to happen to you too. We don't want it, but it is going to happen. We. And so that means the Christians there, and that means us today. We, Christ Church. This is a message for us. Not just Paul and Barnabas, not the first believers, but for all Christians. Strengthening the local Christians because they are going to face this persecution. And that's what they do. You have a look at verse 22 then. What do they say to the disciples? Strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And it's slightly hidden in our translation, but the, um, the first part of verse 22, strengthening the disciples, um, is literally strengthening the soul of the disciples. It goes to their very core. This message goes to their innermost being. The word uh, for strengthen is sterizo, from which we get our word steroids. So this message, as it were, puts the Christians on steroids to their very being. It bulks them up. It makes them strong. Now, if you didn't know what they're about to say, what would you guess the message would be? What is the strengthening message for churches? 
It'll be all right? Maybe something about Jesus? We could expect that. We wouldn't be surprised to find that. But instead, we are told, they are told, we must go through many hardships. How is that strong? How is that a strong message that could encourage anyone? Doesn't it put us off? Well, let's flip it. If it makes them strong, what were they before they had the message? They were weak. How could you be weak not knowing that we must go through many hardships? Well, think about it this way. At some point in the UK, jogging became a thing. I was once listening to someone, and I think this happened when I was a kid, but I can't quite remember, that no one used to run. And if you saw someone running, you'd shout, oh, you're late. Now people run all the time, but it used to be something you wouldn't do. No one would run, just go for a run and then come back to their own house. That's weird. Now, let's say when jogging came a thing, right? Someone said to you, oh, why don't you start this jogging? It helps you feel better. You feel good. You're healthy. And you think, great, healthy, feel good, let's go. And you put on the gear and you start jogging. And you feel good for those first, what is it, like two and a half seconds? Feels nice. And then it doesn't feel so nice, and then it gets hard. Imagine your friend had told you nothing about what jogging is actually like. It starts hurting. What are you tempted to do? You think, oh, no thanks. Or you think, if you're a bit more balanced, I'm doing something wrong. Maybe it's not left, right, left, right. Maybe it's left, 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 right. And you're trying to experiment, trying to stop the pain. If you have false expectations of what you're about to do, you give up or you, you, go, you think you're going wrong. And so you slow jogging to a walk. Oh, it doesn't hurt anymore. Good. But then you're not getting the benefit or you stop entirely. You're not getting a benefit at all. We must go through many hardships. Do you see that? We must go through many hardships. So if you're a Christian and you're finding hardship because you're a Christian, you're not doing something wrong. You don't have to change everything. It's not to say there aren't slightly better ways of running, wiser ways of engaging with the world, some things that we are doing by our own character that probably, if we just changed a little bit, it would make it slightly more straightforward. But at the core of it, it's going to hurt. We must go through many hardships. Just because it hurts doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. In fact, we might flip it the other way and say if it never hurts, Maybe we're not running. We must. We must go through many hardships. Do you see how this is a strengthening message? Because if you didn't know that, and you turned up outside church, and those people were there, you think, oh no, we've gone wrong. Someone doesn't like me, we've gone wrong. Not necessarily the case. We must. We must go through many hardships. All right, they've strengthened the Christian, given them these steroids for the soul. What's, what do they do? How do they get the, the church ready? Verse 23. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they'd put their trust. How do you make Christians ready to go through many hardships? Put them in a church with elders. That's it, isn't it? That's what they do. Put them in a church with elders and they pray, they fast, they commit them to, to Jesus. Church with elders. Not to labour it, but that's why we have a church with elders here at Christchurch. We're following this pattern. 
Now, it might not be a pattern we'd come up with, but it's one that's laid down for us in Scripture. Paul and Barnabas thought it was a good thing to do. If, if, you're fine, if you're, um, you come across a Christian who says, I, I'm great being a Christian, I, just, I don't need church. You should get your notepad out and learn from this person because either they're incredibly wise and they know better than Paul and Barnabas or maybe they don't. I don't want to judge that person's situation. Of course, there are some things that are difficult about church. It's full of people for a start. But this is what they thought. For these people that they love dearly, they thought, we're going to make sure you're a church that's led and cared for and shepherded and supported. That's what we think you need. Some applications straight away from that. For my fellow elders here at Christ Church, we are here to strengthen the people. We are here to prepare the people. Yes, we have meetings, and it's good to put an agenda together and make progress through it. But let's not get distracted. As we, as we do that, it is to serve the people here, to care for the people here. That is what God says to me. I must try and do as best I can to strengthen the people. So brothers, let's be doing that more and more. I'm very grateful for your support. A team sport, again, we must go through many hardships. Let us keep praying for the people. And for all of us, don't go it alone. Don't go it alone. God has given you a church family. Don't suffer solo. We, together, together, we worship, and together we struggle. Together we go through hardships. One other thing, just on verse 23, in terms of application. What does mission look like? When you want to reach the world, what should you do? What, is, what do you do? You set up church. That's what mission looks like. Mission looks like church. How are they going to reach Antioch and Iconium? They didn't set up a mission agency. They didn't go to the unbelievers. They went to the Christians. And they made sure the Christians were established in a church. I just say that as we think, as we anticipate to move after Easter onto our third circle, our Father's world. We want churches the world over. Because that's what they wanted. This is the pattern laid down for us. A way of reaching the world through churches. Again, we might think, that's not the way I would have done it. But fortunately, we don't have to make it all up we can follow what God has told us. All right, so we've seen, I hope, why we must go through many hardships before we enter, to enter the kingdom of God is a strengthening message. It helps us where we are weak. It fixes our false expectations. It says we're not going wrong if it's hard. We've seen the context for it, what kind of hardships, physical, psychological, and we've seen a way of being prepared for it, the message to our soul, a church together. We might now ask, but why? Why must we go through many hardships? Why must we do that? Lots of different reasons. But the very, very basic one is because Jesus said. That's the strongest authority we have, isn't it? Jesus said. You flip back in your Bible to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, as Jesus talks to his disciples, he's about to leave them, and he is also strengthening them. John chapter 15. 
verse 20. Jesus, the man who loved the most, says this to those he loved. Verse 20. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me. Did you hear that, friends? If they persecuted Jesus, oh, they persecuted Jesus. If they persecuted him, they will persecute us. Why? Because a servant is not greater than their master. Jesus is our master. He came to serve us, but he was not our servant. He is our Lord. They treated him that way, and they treat him that way because they did not know the Father who sent him. They hate the Father, they hate the Son. What chance have we got? If we're with God, we are not with the world. Jesus says it comes. It comes. What is the future of the UK for Christians? What's the future hold for us? I don't know. I don't know. And I urge caution for anyone who says, yes, this is definitely happening. Because has God told them? God holds the future in his hands. None of us. But it's not been getting easier for Christians, has it? It's not been getting easier. We don't have a monopoly on suffering. There are other types of people who are persecuted, right? Match of the day presenters, for one. But for Christians, for Christians, verse 22 stands. Verse 22 of Acts chapter 14 stands. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Many hardships. That is the reality for the church. When it does come to us, here, elsewhere, what is our reaction to be? What is our reaction to be to persecution for following Jesus? Well, our reaction could be, if we were honest, to fight back. Wouldn't you be tempted to fight back? Oh, think about people outside church ready to throw stuff. Oh, I'm going to fight back. They've got hen's eggs, we've got goose eggs. They've got flour, we've got gluten-free flour. Is that worse? I don't know, it probably is, isn't it? I'm going to fight back. Or maybe, no, like, we're kind of, we're polite people. We're going to do it by the book. We're going to appeal to the authorities and say, this isn't fair. We're going to start lawsuits. We're going to seek judicial review. Campaign for free speech. What was the apostles' first reaction? Was it to campaign? He accepted it. They accepted it. Didn't like it. But they accepted it because we must go through many hardships. We must. Now, this doesn't mean we... we not allowed to do anything else. We're not allowed to speak to our MP or anything. That's, that's not what I'm saying. But our first reaction might show us what we are putting our trust in and whether we believe that we must go through many hardships. 
Instead of fighting back, they accepted it and they preached the gospel. They kept going, preaching the gospel. See, that is an optional or avoidable as a church that we would preach the gospel of Jesus. We saw it last, a couple of weeks ago. As Ian was preaching, he showed us that proclamation leads to persecution. It just follows. Proclamation goes to persecution. And strangely, persecution goes back to proclamation. As this battered, bruised preacher wins many people for Jesus. Why does proclamation lead to persecution? Why? Because it's offensive. Our message is offensive. Here's the really offensive thing about Christianity. Jesus is Lord. That's what's offensive. Because if Jesus is Lord, that means everything in my life that is against Jesus is wrong. It means I need to change my life entirely. Wherever I'm out of step with Jesus, I need to change. That is why it's offensive. It causes us to consider ourselves at the very depths of our being. So we at Christchurch must keep teaching and preaching the gospel that we've been given. If the gospel offends, if people are offended, when we get down to it, when we really understand what's going on, if people are offended by the fact that Jesus is Lord, we are not running wrong. Jesus is Lord. And lots of people don't like that. They didn't like him. So, are we ready? Are we ready to go through many hardships? Are you, as part of this church family, ready? Well, in a big way, we can say yes. Because we have the Spirit of God. He has given us what we need. His great and precious promises. He's given us a church to be part of. He's given us this message. But we could get readier, couldn't we? Let's be a gym. Let's be a place where we strengthen and strengthen one another. Where you and I can aim to put steel in each other's spines and encourage each other. I love that word, encourage. Give courage. It's not just kind of cheery positivity. Courage, brothers and sisters. In your small group, someone shares a prayer request about something difficult, maybe at work or at school, they've made a stand. Strengthen them. Pray with them. Maybe one day someone says something at the front and local press picks up on it. Strengthen that person. Encourage them. Pray with them. We go through this together. Look, it's unfair. Let's be really clear, it's unfair. Because Jesus didn't deserve this. It'll be unfair if people are campaigning outside our church. It'll be unfair if people attack us or have a go at you. It is unfair. It is wrong. But it is worth it. We're coming up to Easter. Good Friday, Jesus died. Suffering, unjust. Easter Sunday, what happens? He rises. And he never died again. He lives forever. Where is Jesus now? As he looks at his church, persecuted the world over, he is risen and he's returning. And he's remembering every single thing that is done. He's coming back. 
one more thing just in the book of Acts. I'm just going to read to you the last few words of Stephen's death. Stephen stoned to death in Acts chapter 7. He's testified to the Sanhedrin, this offensive message that Jesus is Lord. They're furious at him. Verse 55 of chapter 7 in Acts. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then verse 59, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. He didn't die. He fell asleep. Because all those who perish in Christ will wake, will rise, because Jesus did. It is worth it. It is worth it. It will be hard to remember that in the moment. But brothers and sisters, let us be strengthened this morning. We must go through many hardships to enter. We will enter the kingdom of God. Not because of our strength, but because of Christ's. We're going to sing together. As the musicians come up, we're going to sing together. A reminder that we are not the faithful ones. God is. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. Great is his faithfulness.